Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Supernatural George. I'm Mittens, and today we're going to be talking about Season 6, Episode 6, You Can't Handle the Truth. And this is Episode 110, and that means we are officially past the first one-third of the series, and we are into the middle third of the series. So, welcome to the middle. (laughs) I like to think of this as truth coming out of her well to punch mankind in the nuts. Written by Eric Charmello and Nicole Snyder, it is their first episode of nine across seasons six, nine, ten, and eleven, with a story credit to David Reed, who also wrote 519 Hammer of the Gods and several of the Supernatural tie-in novels. It was directed by Jan Eliasberg, and it is her only episode of Supernatural. Well, I, for one, am totally ready for some truth. Season 6 has been keeping us all in the dark so far, so it's about time we finally started getting a little light. And poor Dean, he's been trying to get the truth the whole season too, and now he's about to get clobbered with it. I forgot to mention last week, We do actually have date stamps for some of these episodes that doubly serve to undercut the it's been a whole year nonsense between the end of season five and the beginning of season six, because unless you subscribe to the theory that all of season four and five took place in a single year, and that's a legitimate way to kind of balance out the year theory that eh, maybe these three seasons took place over two years just to make it make sense. And then seasons six and seven with the year gap for purgatory after maybe they kind of got smushed down and were really only about a year themselves. So it could work out if episodes didn't keep including dates visible in the episodes on screen. Like this one we know takes place at the end of October of 2010 which would be impossible if it's actually been three whole years since Dean got pulled out of hell, since we give a definite date for that. And the previous episode had the date of October 24th. So this happens after October 24th, 2010. If it's going to fit in with that, it was a whole year. Maybe maybe it wasn't a whole year. Let's just let go of that. (laughs) Because the timeline from here on out kind of holds if you get rid of those, oh my God, they spent a year? No, it's just easier to go, eh, maybe it wasn't a full year. It's just exaggeration. Anyway, I'm only pointing it out now, so hopefully folks will understand why I get so hand-wavy about timeline stuff in canon. It fits however it fits, and sometimes we're pulling off Cinderella's stepsister's levels of surgery to try and cram it all into the glass slipper, and it just is never going to fit. But that's okay. We can still enjoy the story for what it is and find ways to just mentally hand wave the stuff that just really doesn't fit. In this episode, we get a lot of truth about Dean, about Lisa, about Sam, and even about Bobby. Some of it's kind of endearing, like the fact that Bobby enjoys getting a pedicure. Some of it's just sad, but really feels inevitable, like Lisa ending things with Dean and some of it is just horrifying. Plus, one of my favorite gifts in the entire series comes from this episode, which I will definitely talk about when we get there, because now it's become a favorite for many other reasons. 
We also get cast back for even just a little bit, but mostly to contrast how off he is in an episode where we finally get our aha moment about just how much Sam had been lying to Dean all season long. Cass continues to evade having to tell the truth. And with the context of 620, and knowing just how over his head and beyond his pay grade Cass had been reaching, I like to imagine that this is where he finally did start to look closely enough to realize how big a mistake he'd made when he pulled Sam out of hell. I truly don't think he started putting the pieces together until right here. And it will become just one more boulder of guilt to throw on the pile. But he can't care about that right now, can he? He's at war and refusing to explain the full extent of what that means to Dean because he has a plan and he's put every egg he has in Crowley's basket. He can't back away from what he believes is his only recourse. It's the only thing that will redeem him from everything he's had to do to get to this point is just to keep plowing through with his plan as ridiculous and awful and consequence filled as it is. He's just completely blinded to any other potential course of action now. And isn't that just horrible? Season six is awfully dang painful, but like Cass, we are just going to keep plowing through because eventually we will come out the other side. And all that said, let's get right into this episode, because there's lots and lots of truth to get through. The then segment opens with Dean on the phone with Bobby from two episodes ago, telling Bobby that there's something really, really wrong with Sam, overlaid with shots of Sam doing pull-ups in front of a hooker and then just staring creepily. It then immediately cuts to Dean talking to Lisa, telling her that he can't lose her and Ben. Lisa tells him that they'll be there for him when he comes back, just come in one piece. And unfortunately, when Dean turned back up, we all know he didn't come in one piece. We then get scenes from Dean's fight with the vampire who turned him. Sam standing back, watching with pleasure as Dean got turned. And then Lisa demanding from Vampire Dean, she doesn't know as a vampire, to tell her what is wrong. Him scaring Lisa and Ben both and running away, taking the vampire cure, and realizing that Sam did intentionally get him turned, knowing that Sam doesn't actually have his back now. Which brings us to now, at a Biggerson's restaurant in Calumet City, Illinois. A waitress is on the phone with her sister, asking for help and dating advice. Apparently she went on a date that went well, but the guy hasn't called her back yet, and she wants to know if it seems too needy to call. She turns her back on her boss and says to her sister over the phone, I just need the truth. Meaning, was it really a great date? Does he really have any interest in going out with her again? What did he really think about the date? And yet, all of a sudden, after this moment, she starts getting the truth. The awful, brutal, horrible truth. She goes to the kitchen to pick up an order and the cook tells her, I pity you. You're sad and pathetic and that's the only reason I'm telling you. What a horrible thing to say to somebody. Maybe he does. That's the truth to him. But he also gives her the heads up that 
she should avoid the clam chowder because he flavored it with his own seasoning. And she looks at him like, what the hell? She glares at the clam chowder like, okay. And just leaves it there. Like, doesn't even try and serve it to the patrons, which, honestly, good for her. Her boss then comes up to her out of the blue and tells her, that new girl, Misty, she's way hotter than you. She's an eight and you're a three. Like, why would you say this to anybody? She asks one of her patrons if there's anything else she can get for her. And the woman's like, oh, no, thanks, dear. And and then just comes out with this story about how she ran over a homeless person once and never even stopped. And it's like, none of these people are even like, why did I say that? None of them are hesitating at all. Like, we'll see later people hesitate when they're talking to Dean. A couple of people are like, why did I say that? But it's like they almost have no self-awareness that they've just said something incredibly awful out loud. Then everybody in the restaurant starts saying horrible things. One little girl says she hates her mommy and wants to burn her alive. Other people are targeting her directly, saying that she gives them the creeps and she's a desperate, pathetic loser. And this is all very distressing. She unlocks a drawer and pulls out a revolver. I suppose it's some sort of self-defense mechanism for the restaurant to have a revolver locked in a drawer in case there's a robbery or something. Uh, Who knows why there's a gun in a restaurant cash drawer. But she slips it into her apron and then walks out of the restaurant, calls her sister, and asks for her sister to come pick her up. She's breaking down crying like, All these horrible things are happening around her. She's like, I think I'm going crazy. I'm freaking out. And her sister says, well, that's because you are a freak. You're certifiable. Every time the phone rings, I know something's wrong. It's another crisis. And Jane just cannot take this anymore. She pulls the gun out of her apron, holds it up underneath her chin, and pulls the trigger. And the blood spatter hits the Biggerson sign with the subtitle, The Happy Place. Yeah, this place was just not happy. (laughs) Her sister was like, towards the end, the whole family hates you. You know, why don't you just kill yourself? And unfortunately, she did. This isn't just getting the truth about the specific thing that she wanted to know. This was getting everybody's worst possible fragment of truth that they could throw at you and hurling at you like a weapon. That's not the entirety of the truth. Getting beaten in the face with the truth isn't the only part of the truth. And then we cut to the title card. And this must be almost immediately after the previous episode, because Dean is explaining the previous case to Bobby over the phone. Sam's in the background getting a hot dog at a hot dog cart, and Dean's walking through a park, telling Bobby that Sam threw him to a vampire. And it's definitely not his brother, and Bobby insists they tested Sam for everything when he came back from hell. Salt, silver, there was nothing. He was Sam. Bobby asks if Dean has called Cass, and apparently Cass is not answering Dean's prayers either. Dean is begging Cass for answers about Sam, Remember what Dean said earlier this season when he talked to Cass? Even if you have nothing, show up and tell me you have nothing. Well, Cass is not living up to that. 
And yes, we know he's got bigger problems to deal with and things he's trying to avoid having to face, like his mistake with Sam and everything he's doing behind Dean's back. He does not want to have to come clean about any of that. Bobby encourages Dean to take a step back and be professional about how they handle Sam. And Dean's like at the end of his rope. He's like tried professional for the last five episodes and he's done. He just wants answers now, damn it. And he is absolutely 100% convinced that Sam watched him get turned and did nothing to stop it. And Bobby is like, are you sure that's what you saw? And Dean is adamant. Bobby agrees that he's on Dean's side on this. He's going to hit the books. They do- If it's not Sam, they don't have any idea what it is. And if they're going to put him down, they've got to know how. But they also want to have proof. So he's just basically asking Dean to continue gathering evidence. And Dean's like, but I don't even want to ride in the same car with him, much less work a case with him, because he's creeping Dean's cheese here. Bobby tells Dean, Sam is your case. He's the one you're working on, and hangs up on him. Just as Dean hangs up his phone, Sam sneaks up behind him and kind of startles him. They have a very awkward, you okay? Dean lies and says he was calling Lisa, leaving her another message. She still has not called him back. And Sam presents Dean with a potential new case. Four people have committed suicide in this one little town in the last few weeks, like out of the blue. If nothing else, it's something that will distract Sam while Dean studies him. They go undercover as feds to interview Jane from the cold open's sister. We get a look inside Jane's house. She has a sign from Harry's House of Horns and some sort of weekly lesson there on her calendar. Meanwhile, Sam is interviewing the sister, explaining that she did what any sister would do when their sister was having a bad day, tried to cheer her up. But she's making all of these tells, like twitching her hand behind her ear, not being able to look at Sam when she says certain parts of the words. And Sam, you can read it all over his face. He sees right through this, because he thinks he's great at reading people and knows she's lying and is unafraid because he doesn't have a soul and has no compassion to just lay that fact out to this woman accusatorily. The woman looks really uncomfortable when Sam accuses her of lying and demanding to know what she did to her sister. And Dean looks at Sam like, why are you brutalizing this poor woman? And Sam just gives him like a little eyebrow shrug, like, what is wrong with you? This is a valid line of questioning. And then it actually does work. The woman breaks down and confesses that she said the most horrible things to her sister. She can't even believe that she said them. Sam and Dean leave and assess what they've just learned, that the girl was probably suicidal already but was just pushed over the edge by what the sister said. But what forced the sister compelled her to say these things that she's horrified with herself that even came out of her mouth. She couldn't stop herself from saying them. As they get back in the Impala, Dean watches Sam and just kind of half disgusted with him. Like, I can't believe I actually have to share space with this guy again. Meanwhile, we cut across town to a man in a dentist's chair 
There's a television up in the corner, and if you notice, it's Ashley Frank doing some sort of report. Ashley Frank, who is actually the goddess Veritas, we will find out later in this episode. But as the man's sitting there, he's like, I gotta be honest with you. And then everything else he says after that is kind of horribly, painfully honest. The dentist is clearly friends with this man and says, we should get together, our wives, and, and go, you know, have dinner. And the man's like, well, I'm not really all that into my wife anymore. Starts confessing that he has urges and his wife's saggy skin is repulsive to him, but he's canceled their camping trip last year because he was afraid to be around the dentist's daughter because he has urges toward her, and it's just sickening. Then the man essentially confesses to having raped the dentist's daughter, and the dentist is holding a drill and has got this guy sedated in the chair and tortures him to death with the dentist drill. And honestly, you can't really blame him. The next morning, Bobby's on the phone with Dean again. Bobby still hasn't found anything. And Dean's like, yeah, my skin crawls just being in the same room with him. Look that up. See if that means anything. Bobby reminds Dean that it could be the worst case scenario. Dean's like, what, like Lucifer? And Bobby's like, well, the other worst case scenario, maybe it really is just Sam and how he is now. Maybe being in hell really changed him that much. Dean does not want to hear that. He gives Bobby one more day to figure out what on earth is wrong with Sam before Dean handles it. And what does he mean by handling it? killing Sam, telling him to go his own way, we just don't know. But I personally think he was trying to psych himself up to be able to kill his brother, knowing that this really is not Sam anymore. Dean thinks about that for a second, then pulls out his phone again. And I love that Cass is his first contact on his contact list, even if it is spelled with two S's. But he scrolls down to Lisa and tries to call her again, it only rings like once or twice before he hangs up and just sits there pondering what on earth he's going to do when he's interrupted by Sam again to tell him about the dentist case. Sam's still in his suit and tie like he's been wearing it all night. His tie is just loosened now. He tells Dean that he'd bet him 20 bucks that this dentist is wrapped up in what's going on in this town. Why don't we go talk to him? Dean then is like, no, you go ahead. I'm going to stay here and do some research. And Sam looks puzzled by this. Dean wants to stay and do research. Pushes Dean about it. Like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, we got to know what we're up against, right? And that's totally valid. Yes, it is. Sam's already wearing a business suit. He can go be the Fed. Dean's already wearing, you know, a flannel and a t-shirt. He can just stay there and research. Sam eventually accepts that reasoning. And Dean honestly just looks relieved that Sam is out of his presence again. Sam wasn't able to interview the dentist because he hanged himself in his cell before Sam got there. But Sam talked to his assistant, who said, based on what the guy that the dentist murdered was confessing to, Sam would have murdered him as well. So good to know that Sam actually sees that some things are wrong even without his soul. So they now think these people were cursed to receive the truth in such horrible ways that they would go postal. 
Sam's going to check out the morgue, and Dean is going to check out the dentist's office to see if they can find any clues. As he gets ready to go, Dean shuts his laptop, where he'd been researching doppelganger as some sort of monster that Sam might be. And yeah, sorry, Dean. Unfortunately, it's not. Inside the dentist's office, Dean finds a saxophone and box of reeds and a receipt from Harry's House of Horns and recalls the sticker that Jane had by her calendar for Harry's House of Horns. Could this be a connection? Could this be where they're getting cursed? Funny enough, (laughs) when they flash back to Jane's calendar and show her weekly appointments at Harry's House of Horns, they also showed one appointment for the dentist. Kind of makes you wonder if this was the dentist. Dean goes down to the horn shop and talks to Harry, and Harry feels terrible, but he doesn't have any idea what may have happened to both of them. He knows them, and as Dean leaves, Harry stops him and asks, well, what about my horn? Because that thing's one in a billion, and Dean realizes, oh no, this actually might be a clue. There was a horn stolen from Harry's shop a few weeks back, right before the very first suicide. But Dean figures if it is connected, time to actually do that research he promised Sam he was going to do. And they find a potential lead. Gabriel's Horn of Truth. Back at the motel, Dean has switched it up from beer to whiskey. And despite having received no response from Cass over the last few times he's tried to pray to him, he tries again. This time he's got something that might entice Cass down one of heaven's loose nukes. And Dean just unleashes on Cass when he shows up almost immediately. I've been asking you for days to be here. And Cass is like, well, you asked me, so I'm here. Dean's like, no, no, no. You came because I had something you might need, not because you actually give a shit about me. Cass makes the excuse that he didn't come about Sam because he had nothing to offer and not even a pop-in to say, I've got nothing to offer. But he does assure Dean that Sam is not just, quote, gift wrap for Lucifer. Cass picks up a whiskey bottle. He sees Dean holding his empty glass there. Without saying a word, without asking, Cass picks up the bottle, walks over, fills Dean's glass. And if we're watching this with haze code lenses in our glasses... That's basically sex. (laughs) Just so we're all on the same page about what haze coding and queer coding is in cinema. Cass insists that if Lucifer had escaped the cage, they would know it. And that he has no idea what's wrong with Sam. And as they're standing so close together, close enough for Cass to pour his drink, Dean just looks at him just You can see the heartbreak on his face. He's like, what happened to you, Cass? You used to be human or like one. Cass can't look Dean in the eye anymore. He turns his back on Dean because what he's saying is not the truth. That he's at war, yes, but certain regrettable things are now required of him. And we can see the pain on Cass's face because the camera shows it to us. But Dean can't. To him, Cass is just being heaven's puppet, or he has no idea, but he knows that Cass is not being honest with him. But Dean has more pressing issues. Gabriel's Horn of Truth. 
This is a real thing. Dean can't even finish explaining what's been going on in this town before Cass disappears. He comes back a few seconds later and says Gabriel's Horn of Truth is not in this town. He looked everywhere. Shockingly, he didn't notice the goddess Veritas hanging out in this town or give Dean the heads up about what is causing the problems because he can't care about what those problems are right now. All he cares about is if there's a weapon loose in this town, he's got to find it. That's his only priority right now. They've switched positions by the time Cass comes back. Dean's now standing over by the window and he turns his back on Cass and is like, well, nice seeing you anyhow. And Cass takes just a few moments here to try and salvage whatever bridge he's had to burn down between him and Dean. He offers Dean the only olive branch he can. He might not know what's wrong with Sam, but he does want to help. He promises to make inquiries. That's not worth a lot to Dean, but it's not worth nothing either. And Cass doesn't even stick around long enough for Dean to turn around and thank him. Dean's just left standing in an empty room with no answers whatsoever. Over at the morgue, Sam looks at the body of the dentist. It's clear he died by hanging himself. But he also asks to see the bodies of all the other suicide victims. And the coroner is like, I can't, they're gone. And Sam's like, released to their families. And he's like, no, they're gone. Like implying the bodies were stolen from the morgue. Meanwhile, Dean's at a bar trying to drink away his lack of any sort of lead on what to do about anything. And on the TV at the bar is Frank Talk the same woman who was on the TV at the dentist's office. We hear her say something, you know, find out the truth about something or other. It's irrelevant because her whole deal is finding out the truth. The bartender asks Dean if he wants another drink, and Dean says no thanks, he's working, just as his phone rings. It's Sam. All the bodies are gone, but he has a lead. There was one body that came in a week before everybody else started coming in, which means a week before the horn went missing from the shop, so proving that that was a dead end anyway. But Sam is at her apartment, and Dean lets him know that he's on his way. But he calls out to the bartender and says, you know what, I think I will have another one. She's like, I thought you were working, and he's like, I am working up to it. He can't face being alone in a little place with Sam. The bartender asks if he's okay, and Dean's like, not really. She pours him a shot of whiskey and tells Dean that it's on her. The bartender asks if there's anything else she can get him, and Dean's like, I'd just like the freaking truth. As we get a close-up shot of his mouth saying those words and then drinking the whiskey, and a little sound effect that lets us know that the spell has now been activated on Dean. All you have to do is ask for the truth. And then he jokes as he puts the glass back on the bar, empty now, and he says, I'll settle for another one, though. But instead of another drink, the bartender tells Dean that she thinks she can't get pregnant because God knows her marriage is a sham. And then she pauses and she's like, why did I tell you that? She catches herself saying these things, making these confessions to Dean, And is like, why am I telling you any of this? And Dean puts the pieces together. 
he realizes he's got to go. He pays and he's walking out of the bar past another woman who tells Dean that she paid a lot of money for her boobs and she hopes that he likes them because she needs a lot of affirmation that she's worthy. And he's nice enough to actually be polite about it. Dean tests the theory out by calling Bobby. People are just telling him random true things. Before he tries this out on Sam, he's going to try it out on Bobby. So asking Bobby if there's anything Bobby's itching to tell him, Bobby's like, oh, not really. Why? But then Bobby just starts telling Dean everything he's doing, hitting the books, getting a nice glass of milk. I've got Tori and Dean on the television. He's watching Tori's belling. He loves her, apparently. Bobby then goes on to tell Dean about the pedicures he enjoys getting. He's like, I never told anyone that. Why am I telling you? Dean doesn't immediately answer, but Bobby says, maybe it's because you're my favorite. Sam's a better hunter, lately anyway, and then catches himself again. Why am I telling you any of this? Dean finally tells Bobby it's because he's cursed. And Bobby is just distressed at this. He's like, how come you always get yourself into more trouble? And Dean finally says it might be the best thing that's happened to him in a while. And Bobby suspects that Dean's going to try and use this curse to get truth out of Sam and tries to discourage him from it, but then eventually gives up. Like, Dean's going to do whatever he's going to do. And as they're about to hang up, Bobby's like, did I ever tell you that my first girlfriend turned out to be a... And then Dean just hangs up before he can hear the end of that sentence. He has no desire to hear the end of that sentence. Dean gets in the car and calls Sam, lets him know that he's on the way. But for Sam to call him if he gets the message before Dean gets to where Sam is. He wants to ask Sam a few things. Meanwhile, Sam is interviewing the roommate of the girl who committed suicide first. She'd been having a hard time. Her cat Mittens had run away. Mittens, poor Mittens. And she was convinced her boyfriend had been cheating on her and was just really good at covering it up. She was just obsessed with finding out the truth. Dean pulls up outside when he finally gets a call back from Lisa. It's the worst possible time for him to get this call when he's cursed to hear the truth. But he answers the phone anyway. He's been trying to reach her for days. He's not going to let this opportunity pass. Dean tries to tell her it's the worst time to talk. Can he call her back later? And she's like, no, you shoved my kid. We're going to talk about this now. And asks him if he wants to know the truth. And Dean says, probably not. Because he knows he's already cursed to hear it regardless. But she has no idea how he goes through life the way he does. Just shoving everything down. And complains about how he copes by drinking. Dean's like, well, you knew what you signed up for. And she's like, yeah, but I didn't know Sam was going to come back. And I'm glad he's okay, but... I knew the minute he walked through the door that it was over, that whatever life that they had together, that Dean would never be content to just stay and be with them anymore. So that means Sam had been right in his initial assessment. He wanted Dean to have this life 
And Lisa was okay putting up with all of Dean's bullshit, but she could not put up with competing with Sam for Dean's attention and competing with hunting for Dean's attention. She tried to make it work. She tried to put on a brave face in the face of everything that Dean went through because she knew it was good for him. But she's unhappy with the circumstance. And then she just effectively ends things with him. Me and Ben, we can't be in this with you. I'm sorry. And that sorry is genuinely meant. But she can't do it anymore. And I really don't blame her. She put up with an awful lot from Dean. It's almost liberating for her to be able to actually say all of that out loud, I think. Meanwhile, back at the girl's apartment, underneath her bed, Sam finds a box that has a cat skull and some other weird spell-type ingredients in it, and he puts pieces together. This girl did some sort of truth-conjuring spell, because that's what she needed was the truth, and she murdered her cat for it. Sam picks up the little cat skull, and I get my favorite gift from the entire series of Sam holding it and apologizing directly to it, and directly to me personally. Sorry, Mittens. My favorite version of the gif was made by my friend Alex, who, that's like the last piece of him that I have left. (laughs) That's just for me. That was his that he made for me. So, thank you, Alex. I have to end my little sad moment right now. (laughs) I'm gonna start crying (laughs) over the stupid little cat skull. Sorry, Mittens. As Sam's leaving the apartment with the spell ingredients, Dean's coming in. Sam wants to tell Dean all about what what he's found, but Dean's like, nope, we've got to talk about some things first. Dean's first question is, when the vamp attacked him, why did Sam just stand there? And Sam pauses for a moment, and he looks very contrite and embarrassed even, and says, I didn't. I froze. Like, this is hard for him to admit. Dean has a difficult time accepting that. He's like, you've been Terminator since you've got back. You froze. Sam's like, I don't know. It was shock, maybe. But then it was too late. And when it's clear to Sam that Dean is not fully believing this, he says, I can't lie here. Do you really think I would do something like that on purpose? Sam turns it around like, you're my brother. How could you even think that about me? And Dean's like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, fine, fine. I guess I just thought I saw something and it's been a really, really bad day. And Sam doubles down on it and is like, you know, I got your back. I always have. If Sam can use this moment to convince Dean that that's the truth, he's going to capitalize on that because he needs Dean to believe that. And it actually, for the moment, makes Dean feel a little better. Maybe there is something wrong with Sam, but deep down, maybe he's read way too much into it. So Dean's now doubting himself. And as Sam walks away, we see his face just go back to true neutral as he turns away from Dean. All the pain of their conversation is just wiped away in an instant. There's really something wrong with Sam. But at least Dean's able to work with him on this case for the moment. Sam found what the spell ingredients summon, the goddess Veritas, who not only tells you the truth, but slams you with it until you commit suicide, and then she can collect her tribute. 
And they quickly realize that they've got to take this goddess out because otherwise Dean is slated to be her next tribute that she collects. They learn that this goddess used to come down from the mountain to speak truth to the masses, and the 21st century version of that is being a TV reporter who investigates and finds the truth. They go down to the local television station and pay off somebody for back issues of her investigative reports. They spend the rest of the night and into the next day looking at footage of all of her reports. Later on that afternoon, Sam is basically watching all of her reports and fast forward now. Through this whole sequence, you can see the difference between Sam and Dean. Sam is like robotically, single-mindedly focused on this video for like hours. He doesn't hardly move while Dean moves around the room, eats several meals, is getting fidgety and bored and relaxed and, and alternately paying attention when he can. And Sam just is laser focused. There's clearly something not right with Sam, even if Dean has made himself okay with this for now. Until finally, there's one report she's doing where a dog keeps barking at her in the background and she looks at it out the corner of her eye and Sam notices something. A little flash in her eyes that reveal their unnatural nature. They head back to the studio and late that night they follow her home to her very fancy house. Dean pulls out two knives special knives to kill Veritas with, and dip them in a jar of dog's blood that Sam produces. Dean asks, do I even want to know where you got that? And Sam's like, probably not. So clearly he didn't humanely draw blood from a dog somewhere or steal it from a laboratory. He probably killed a dog for that. And he's just totally fine with that. Regular Sam would be distraught. They break into her house which is just filled with cats, and they find the same mural hanging up in her home that was on the website about her. Until they find her dining room, I guess, where the partially dismembered corpses of all her victims are lying around, hanging, laid out on tables. And Veritas finds them there and is like, oh, you made it for dinner. She just flings them across the room with a flick of her wrist and knocks them out, and they wake up, tied to posts on opposite sides of the room from each other. Sam's working on getting himself cut free while she's focused on Dean and the tongue of the dentist that she's now consuming. That's her favorite part. It's where the lies roll off. She can't wait to eat Sam and Dean's tongues because they are some of the biggest liars she's ever met. But she thinks it's now Dean's turn to tell the truth. She wants to hear his truth before she kills him and eats his tongue. She asks Dean what he really feels about his brother. And Sam looks a little nervous, but Dean's like, better now. Yesterday I wanted to kill him in his sleep. Dean thought he was a monster, but now he just thinks that Sam was trying to act like him. He's taken this and turned it around and made it his own fault. Dean describes what they do. Half the time you're covered in blood, until you're covered in your own blood, and you think you're going to die, like right now. He's tied up and at her mercy. She could kill him right now, and there would be nothing he could do to stop that. That's just his life. 
and Dean's like, and I thought I wanted a family. And she's like, but you lied. Dean's like, no, but what I'm good at is slicing throats. I'm not a father. I'm a killer. And I know that now. There's no changing that. And that truth pains him. He doesn't want to just be a killer. And we all know he's not just a killer, that he collects kids in this show like the world's greatest foster parent. But the picket fence life, that may not be for him. The just in suburbia life, I honestly don't think he's lying about understanding what his life is and that it does make him happy. And it just breaks my heart every time I hear someone say, oh, well, Dean didn't really ever want to be a hunter. You know, he just felt obligated. And I'm like, I truly think he derives pleasure from hunting, from saving other people. This is a major source of pride and personal satisfaction for him. And it's not detracting from his life the way a lot of people frame it as just something purely negative that he feels he has no choice about. She, though, is satisfied with Dean's answer, gets up and walks away towards Sam and is like, yeah, so you must have been relieved when Sam came back into your life. Dean looks slightly uncomfortable about this because, yeah, relief might not be the right word here. And asks Sam how he feels about it. Sam does his very best to put on an act that resembles what he just saw Dean do. He tells her what we do is hard, but we look out for each other and that's what's truly important. And Dean feels satisfied with this at first. Like, yeah, maybe this is okay. But Veritas recoils from Sam. She's like, how are you lying to me? And Dean glares over at Sam like, what? He's lying to you even through this curse? She asks Sam what he is, how he's able to lie to her, then asks Dean, what is he? And Sam's like, you said it yourself. I can't lie to you. I'm telling the truth. I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, I doubt that. I doubt everything that comes out of your mouth right now. She declares that Sam is not human. And Dean's like, what? And she realized that that Dean didn't know that Sam wasn't human and is like, now that I believe. But just at that moment, Sam gets cut through his ropes, binding his wrists together, flings the knife at Dean for Dean to cut himself free and starts fighting with Veritas. Veritas gets Sam wrestled to the floor and is choking the life out of him. Dean finally gets himself cut free, picks up a crowbar or something, stabs her through the back to stop her from trying to murder Sam. She comes out with her goddess face, looks very cat-like, which gives Sam just enough time to reach up and grab the dog blood-covered knife to stab her with and kill her. They murdered the truth. And as Sam finally stands back up, Dean holds out a big knife at Sam like, Yeah, this conversation is not over. Sam slowly backs away, trying to convince Dean that it's him. It's Sam. And Dean's like, you are not my brother. What are you pretending to be my brother? Dean doesn't want to believe anything Sam has to say. He doesn't even believe it's really Sam. Sam begs for a chance to just tell the honest truth that Veritas was right. He swears this is going to be the truth now, finally. 
He's known something was really, really wrong with him for a while now. Sam tells Dean, yes, he lied to him. And yes, he did let that vamp turn Dean because he knew they had a cure and he knew Dean could handle it. He knew Dean would be able to infiltrate that nest if he was a vampire too. And then they could just turn him back and everything was okay. He's like, I know that should stop me from doing any of this, but it doesn't because I just don't care. Sam explains that ever since he's been back, he's a better hunter because he doesn't feel anything. He doesn't feel scared. He doesn't feel regret. He doesn't feel anything. And that should scare him, but it doesn't. I, for one, do not think that Sam is actually a better hunter now, more ruthless. I mean, he doesn't have to feel the consequences of his choices and actions, so he's willing to take more risks or, you know, he doesn't care if he hurts people or gets people killed who don't deserve it. It doesn't affect him anymore, so he doesn't hesitate. I don't think that makes him a better hunter. I actually think it just makes him very dangerous. And Dean puts all of this together in his head, all the bad feelings he's had about Sam, all the iffy decisions and choices that Sam has made over the last however long they've been hunting together, several months at least, and sets the knife down because Sam is asking for help now. He came clean, but it took all of this to get them there. And he nearly killed Dean in the process or put Dean in a situation where Dean may have killed somebody else that he cared about, Lisa or Ben, or even Sam himself, if he'd turned. And Sam just doesn't have any emotional regrets about this. Nothing. But Dean sets the knife down, turns his back on Sam to do it, too. It's a show of trust in Sam, and Sam feels relief. He sighs and is like, okay, yeah, we're going to get past this. And Dean turns around and just punches Sam and punches him some more and keeps right on punching him because, my God, Sam kind of deserves this here. And I'm with Dean. This is cathartic. Even though it's very clear that Dean is incredibly pained and distressed by what he has done. But Sam has put him through all of this, destroyed what he thought was his one shot at happiness lied to him for over a year, almost got him killed several times, and apparently doesn't even care about it. And now we're about to finally get to the truth. Which will inadvertently pry a little bit more truth out of Cass. I just feel so bad for Dean that this is what his season looks like for most of the season. He's just fighting for the truth, to get out of the dark, to have people not lie to him, not deceive him, not try and protect him or shield him from some ugly truth. Like, just rip the band-aid off. Don't leave him in the dark because it only ends up making things worse when the truth finally does come out. Like two weeks ago, Bobby asking for help from people was like pulling teeth. He didn't want to have to ask for help, but Everybody was so willing to just jump to his aid when he did, of their own free will, because they cared. Rufus, Jody, Dean and Sam even. All you had to do was ask, and that's the situation that Cass is in. 
All he had to do was ask and it would have saved so much stress down the road. Just like Sam, all he had to do was ask Dean for help when he started realizing there was something wrong. He could have asked Bobby for help. Hell, he could have asked Samuel for help. He could have told Samuel the truth when Samuel started questioning about something wrong with you, Sam, instead of lying and denying because he was only trying to protect himself. He thought he was doing the right thing. Or when he knew he wasn't doing the right thing, he just didn't care. So Dean is finally someone that Sam can only lie to so much before Dean just punches him unconscious and drags him to get solonoscopied. So at least Cass does reply to that prayer, (sighs) which we'll see at the very beginning of next week's episode, season six, episode seven, Family Matters where we'll begin to get to the bottom of all the underlying family drama issues that have been festering under the surface all season long. And we'll finally be able to talk about soulless Sam properly. Because he's been trying his best to hide it all season to this point. And now he won't have to try and hide it anymore. Because Dean knows, Cass knows, Samuel will know. Everybody will know. Anyway, I know a lot of people later on in the series talk about how, man, Demon Dean could have lasted like as long as Solus Sam did because Solus Sam lasted half the dang season. It's like, no, I'm really glad because Solus Sam dragged on. First of all, we don't even, we're six episodes in and we still don't know that he's Solus, just that he's not human. Something's missing and wrong with him. And I could not imagine getting this much Demon Dean and still being like, okay, next. I mean, (laughs) three episodes was probably not enough in the way they handled getting him undemonized, but still having to deal with the Mark Loki probably could have been a little more dramatic and maybe drawn out for one more episode, even though we knew that they had to get things clarified for the 200th, which I get, honestly, But I have no desire to see more than that of either Sam or Dean, not themselves, because I watch this show for them, not to watch them get out of personal situations, if that makes sense. Like, I mean, there's only one more interesting Soulless Sam episode, really, to me, and that's Fight the Fairies. I don't even say... Appointment in Samara is really about Solus Sam, because what makes that most interesting to me is what happens with Dean and Death. That's what that episode is about, even if he tries to kill Bobby during that one, but whatever. <laughs> Once we find out Sam is Solus, it just drags and drags. And we already knew Dean was a demon at the beginning, so it just dragged. It was like they had no idea what to do with either of them. So anyway, that's what we get. It's supernatural. And I'm only talking about it because sort of run out of other things to talk about. Poor Cass thinks he has to lie to Dean too. Refuses to get Dean tangled back up in his problems. I think he knows that Dean would tell him to stop what he's doing and to not make the deal. I think he really does know deep down that he's doing the wrong thing and trusting the wrong partner here. But Cass is willing to do almost anything to jump on any grenade to keep Dean safe and out of it. And as of next week, Dean will irrefutably be in it. He will get looped in 
to the Campbell family plan and he's not going to be able to get out of it. So much for Cass trying to protect Dean. Once he gets looped in, Cass is like, but we've already come so far. And now that Dean's in anyways, I can keep him at arm's length and keep doing what I'm doing until I can save the world from, you know, for him. And it's like, oh, man, it's like, really, they truly do make season six all about that. Because all along, they plan to kill him off at the end as punishment for everything he's doing throughout season six. I'm kind of horrified about that and also kind of grateful because when Cass does eventually come back, this is what we're left with to deal with of the fallout of their relationship. I mean, we owe a lot of future Destiel to season six and this absolute horror that happens between them because of each other. So there you go. Like season six, hate season six, whatever. But that is a core factor in the season. And you can't just write it off and say it's the worst season because literally every Destiel moment that comes after it is built upon it. This guilt that is being established here, this obligation and duty that is growing and cast, it is what it is. And this is the foundation for all of that. So if you like the confession at the end of 1518, it's rooted in this season. Anyway, until next week, you can find me on Tumblr at MittensMorgul or at SPNGeorge. You can find me on Discord at Mittens hashtag 4865. Or you can email me at mittensmorgul at gmail.com. And I look forward to talking to everybody again real soon. I've just been deep in the Destiel feels for the last few days because huh, I'm finally free from other obligations enough that I've been able to write for the last week or so. And it feels so good to write fiction again. Holy cow, though, when you're writing canon-adjacent series finale fix it fix again because my god I have got about 50 different ways to fix the end that <laughs> all of them would have been better than the actual end but you know I'm so deep in my feels on that right now that <laughs> I'm sort of reliving all of the series all at once going through it and pulling out morsels like this and feeding them into a blender to make fic with so <laughs> <laughs> uh, my brain is the blender anyway it's given me feelings unlike sam because sam doesn't have feelings because he's got no soul but we'll get that fixed just you know five more episodes and he'll get his soul back well i'll be good at least dean will be happy for like a day until Cass spills the beans about it but sam will get fixed anyway have a good one everyone <laughs>